Welcome. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Today in studio, I have with me Michael Daly and David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center. And we're going to talk about a topic that has certainly been in the news, but one that I think there's been a lot of misinformation, and that is the topic of fentanyl. Certainly, fentanyl has not been a household name or a a word that most people have been familiar with, except that Prince, uh, the singer, has been um, died, obviously, in April, and the coroner's report came out the end of May and reported that there was fentanyl in his system and that he died of an accidental fentanyl overdose. After that, there's been an explosion of articles and interviews and newspaper reports talking about this drug, some of it very true, very informative and very helpful, some of it not so much. So I thought we would address some of those issues today. So thank you for being with me today and thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Very glad to be here. So um, let's start with the idea of Prince's death. There um, has been much speculation from the time that he was found dead in his elevator in his home in um, Minnesota. And the revelation that a physician from California had sent his son to see Prince and that that conversation was never held apparently, but that the physician's son had a prescription of Suboxone or buprenorphine with naltrexone in it, which is often used to treat addiction. Mm -hmm. So that raised a lot of questions about whether or not he has the disease of addiction and what in the world would somebody be visiting him with that kind of medication. Um, he was also, in the week before, in an airplane that had to have an emergency Divert. landing, and he was given a dose of naloxone, which is the reversal agent for an opiate overdose. Mm-hmm. So there's from the time that these details begin to come out. It seems like there's been a lot of talk and a lot of speculation, and certainly I don't think any of us know the answer um, to the question of what exactly happened to him, although we do now know that it was a fentanyl overdose that uh, was responsible for his death. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was interesting that as you would listen to interviews and, and read some stuff, that they were making it sound like fentanyl was fairly new, like within the last couple of months, to the scene. And um, I can, you know, think back to listening to this going, oh, my gosh, you know, at the Atlanta Healing Center, we've been seeing fentanyl on drug screens for probably a year and a half to almost two years. Um, and how it's been showing up with maybe THC or showing up with cocaine or showing up with heroin or showing up with ecstasy. But when you talk to the person about their drug screen, they're denying the use of 
fentanyl in any way known to them, but it's showing up. And so that, you know, that's led us to believe that maybe fentanyl is being used as an additive to so many things. And I think you bring up a really good point. And as we look at the statistics about how many deaths related to opioid overdoses there have been, and then how many of those have been related to fentanyl, the number is certainly growing, but I think that goes back to the idea of the drug testing. Mm -hmm. Now, at the Atlanta Healing Center, fentanyl is part of our normal panel of drugs that we test for. The reason being some of our population um, are required by their licensing boards to be monitored for that. And, and certainly in the healthcare professions, for many years, that particular drug, which was originally developed as a anesthetic or as a pain reliever post-surgery, Many times, healthcare professionals had access to that drug where the regular general public did not. So it was pretty routine to test for that. But many places, many hospitals, many coroner's offices, certainly many treatment centers and just regular doctor's offices do not test for fentanyl. And so I think that it's probably been going along, as you say, Michael, for a much longer period of time. But it's only been as people have added that particular drug test. And it's a separate, distinct test that has to be added to the panel. So it's not something that if you're ordering a regular um, urine drug test, that that's going to show up automatically. It's not. Right. So I think we've probably missed this for a long time. Mm-hmm. But in, And in terms of, of the Atlanta Healing Center and your program, it's something that we've actually talked about a number of times, um, initially sounding the alarm, even when, when the DEA was here on the radio show with us, we talked about how we're seeing this in our drug screens, what's going on. And at that time, we were hearing, okay, it's being it's being distributed in a different form than it used to, because all the years that that prior to prior to 2013, mm-hmm. if you were seeing fentanyl, it was because somebody was stealing patches from a sick relative, or Lovely it was pops. somebody in the medical field that right. had direct access. Um, um, but you weren't seeing it um, in other forms. Right. I, I, I remember patients who, you know, they would slap three or four patches on and the rest of the world would be shocked that they're not dying. And for them, they had developed a tolerance to it. Um, 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 and now suddenly we're seeing it showing up in drug screens and, and really sounding alarm on how much more deadly the combinations of things were that we were seeing. It's really a very interesting drug, and it's been around for a long time. If you go to the DEA website, which I did, (laughs) um, there is a very interesting history on fentanyl. And uh, I'd like to share a little bit of that with you. It was actually discovered in Belgium in the 1950s. And it was um, found to be a very potent Analgesic. It will relieve pain at a very high level. Now, the gold standard, though I understand we're not supposed to use gold standard because we don't have gold standard in this country anymore, but the <laughs> um, the standard to which all um, pain medications are um, related is to morphine. Mm-hmm. So we talk about morphine equivalents. So morphine, of course, is a natural occurring 
opioid that is found in the poppy plant. Uh, we have morphine and codeine. Those have been around for many, many thousands of years, hundreds of years at least. And they have been used, um, and so because those were the first opioids that we knew of, everything is compared to morphine equivalents. So when, um, when fentanyl, which is a synthetic, it, it is generated in the laboratory, is, it isn't harvested from the poppy plant. It is actually a synthetic product that is made in a laboratory. When that was uh, discovered, it was found to be about 100 times more potent than um, morphine. And so this was suddenly a very new option that was available primarily as an anesthetic, mm-hmm. an IV injectable, so going in through the vessels during surgery as a way to keep the patient unconscious and comfortable because surgery hurts. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not very good to have a patient under anesthesia but in pain and wiggling and writhing and trying to knock the doctor's hand away from the surgical site. So having this available to to use for patients, it was really um, a big advance. And so anesthesiologists, who are also the most likely to uh, of the healthcare professionals to misuse this drug um, had access to it and provided this very good and important pain relief. So that went on for a number of years, and then it um, we developed um, a very ultra short acting form of it. So because it is a synthetic, and that's been part of the process that we're going to talk about, because it's a synthetic, they can alter a a molecule here or there. They can add an extra hydrochloride group, or they can remove a hydrochloride group. And it's still the same basic structure, Mm -hmm. but it has a little bit different properties and therefore can be trademarked. And in the case of the Mexican and the Chinese drug cartels, it can also be um, transformed into a new substance that doesn't uh, carry the uh, DEA warnings. So it's no longer illegal because it's not the original fentanyl. Right. So they made ultra um, short-acting forms of it. Then um, we got a, um, a sufentyl which is even more potent, five to ten times more potent than fentanyl. And this was used in very delicate surgeries, open-heart surgeries, and these long surgeries that um, involved a lot of precision in terms of the surgeon needs a very still, steady, pain-free patient, and that the Anesthetic and the pain relieving action of the medication needs to be long acting because those surgeries can be hours and hours long. So Sufentil uh, became the new kid on the block. Then they began to develop a way to take the fentanyl and instead of it being an injectable substance in a liquid, they were able to make the fentanyl patch, which is a 
um, a gel patch that you apply to your skin and the fentanyl is able to be absorbed through the skin of a very ill Originally, it was used in cancer patients. So near death. Near death. And for which taking a medication by mouth was not helpful. The patients, either because of nausea, vomiting, or their lack of consciousness, they weren't able to swallow pills. Um, Giving them an injection was too painful because many times the patients had wasted away and they had very little muscle mass. And many of the... Um, medications for pain relief, if they're going to be given by injection, have to be in deep muscles. And that was too painful to have to keep doing this over and over again, really torturing these poor cancer patients. So they developed the fentanyl patch that would allow this transdermal or across-the-skin absorption of this medication. Remember that fact, because that's going to play an important role in our discussion a little bit later on regarding law enforcement. But the fentanyl uh, can be absorbed through that way. Then they developed something called Actique, which is known on the streets as the fentanyl lollipop. And this is a little... And they call it a lollipop. It really looks like a little piece of sponge on the end of a stick. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've ever been to the hospital and they give you their um, equivalent of a toothbrush, which is a little sponge on the end of a stick, that's sort of what it looks like. And this provides real rapid uptake of the fentanyl through the patient's uh, mucous membranes in their mouth. So it's an almost immediate uptake for breakthrough pain. So it was introduced for cancer patients. And then later on, we've been seeing it more recently for chronic long-term patients. So that's the beginning of the story. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about fentanyl in the USA. Please stay tuned. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. Buzz off with Lawyer Liz. Join me each week, Wednesdays at 2 o'clock, as we talk drones, Internet of Things, and technology. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. 
These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. You're listening to Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and I have with me David Donaldson, the CEO of the Atlanta Healing Center, and Michael Daly, the COO of the Atlanta Healing Center. We've been talking about fentanyl. That's been in the news a lot, related primarily, I think, to the death of Prince and all of the speculation that came with his sudden and unusual death and the time it took for the coroner's office to finally complete the autopsy and report that it was indeed a fentanyl overdose. They listed it as an accidental overdose, as far as I can um, understand. And that... um, that then created this whole furor of information in the in the media about fentanyl and what it was and what it wasn't. So I thought we'd take a little journey and look at fentanyl and how we see it ultimately ending up in our practice. Quickly, I just wanted to say that um, in reading about Prince's death, they w- they were saying that fentanyl was the only substance that they found in him other than prescription type medications but it wasn't like they found fentanyl and ecstasy or fentanyl and xanax or you know a combination say what those prescriptions were no in the article that you looked at no no the piece that i was thinking about as you were talking about the history of, of fentanyl um, and, and its initial uses in the surgery and then with, with terminally ill patients is, first of all, when it was being used in surgery, when the anesthesiologist is there and giving them precise, pre- precision amounts of right. fentanyl, there's also a respiratory therapist there making sure that the person doesn't stop breathing and is assisting breathing when necessary. Well, the patient's usually intubated. Mm-hmm. They usually already have a breathing tube in. To make sure that they to make sure continue that. breathing. But still, the anesthesiologist has to make sure that their respiratory rate doesn't the go mo- down, mm-hmm. that they're, the, the signaling from the brain telling you to keep breathing is the part of the brain that is directly affected by all opiates, but particularly by fentanyl and sufentanyl. So that's how people die, (laughs) is that center in your brain that's supposed to be monitoring how much oxygen you have and how much carbon dioxide you have and whether you need to trigger to breathe more, just stops working. And people just stop breathing. They're Rather than having 12 to 15 breaths per minute, which is normal for most people, they go down to three and four breaths a minute, and then eventually they stop breathing altogether. So the the anesthesiologist may 
you know, um, pull back a little bit on the amount of medication given if they see that respiratory drive dropping, if they see the blood pressure and the heart rate and other things dropping. So you've got a trained professional who is certified in advanced cardiovascular life support skills sitting right by your head monitoring it very very closely right and being extremely careful and also very well trained in what this medicine does and what it doesn't do and how to recognize when someone has too much and also uh, and very importantly when they don't have enough so if they're starting to come out from under the anesthesia because the dose is too little they also know how to how to dose that so if somebody gets into trouble you've got an expert sitting right by you who knows exactly what to look for and exactly what to do to save your life well and also the substance that they're using they know what the potency is they know what amount is going to give them whatever desired effect they're going to have with with the street drugs or with the drugs that that we're seeing and and hearing about there's no it's it's a craps game as to what you're getting and how much of one substance you're getting mixed with another if it's been diluted with who knows what right so unless you have a breathing tube in The warning that you see on the prescription form of fentanyl in the fentanyl patches or the fentanyl lollipops or the medications that the doctors are giving, um, the warning says not for an opiate-naive patient. So you have to either have a breathing tube in and a professional monitoring how that is affecting you or in the case of a chronic pain patient or a end-stage cancer patient. These are folks that have been on other opioid medications before, and they've been on bigger and bigger doses, heftier and heftier drugs, if you will, more Mm -hmm. potent drugs, and they've reached a point that these other medications are ineffective, and now they have to bring out the big guns, which is the fentanyl. Right. In other words, they have developed a tolerance yes. that is so high that they are able to take this very, very powerful medication without going into respiratory failure and right. without overdosing. It would be the difference between a person that takes a walk around the neighborhood and a marathon runner. Right. Or someone driving a golf cart versus someone driving an indie car. Right. You know, I mean, it is it is light years ahead in terms of how strong it is. And also, even though heroin has a very quick onset of action, this is much faster than even heroin. Mm-hmm. And so that's also one of the things that has been part of the, the death rate with the overdoses is the onset of action is so quick and this is such a powerful drug that before anybody even notices that this person has stopped breathing this person's already dead right and and that was one of the things that we were starting to hear about um when we first started hearing about the 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 heroin containing some of the fentanyl Mm -hmm. was when when people that that maybe were in our program would hear about somebody that had died right. or overdosed, they would be hearing about the person having put the needle in their arm not even 
having finished injecting all of the substance within their arm and being dead within while the needle was still in them. Right. And they're still excess. Yeah, because initially um, when we would talk about the overdoses that were happening because of heroin, we were saying that the stuff was so potent that, that and we were thinking it was pure heroin that was right. so potent that people were dying that rapidly. Mm-hmm. Um, before we started really seeing what was in the drug screens and, and seeing what was actually being given to people. Right. So you have morphine, which is the standard to which all medicines are, are compared. Then you have fentanyl, which is 100 times more potent than that. Heroin is 50 times more potent than morphine. Fentanyl, 100 times. There's a carfentanyl, which is um, an analog that is 10,000 times more potent than morphine. This is available for tranquilizing very large animals. So this is a veterinary form of this medication that um, has to be extremely guarded, um, safety controlled, because the potency of this is just unbelievable. And this is for, like, elephants or yes, whales or yes, something. Yes, this is for very large animals. This wouldn't be what the veterinarian would be using to put your, your dog cat. to sleep for, you know, um, the snip-snip surgery. <laughs> so... Um, so this molecule can be modified, mm-hmm. and part of the modifications can be either a more rapid onset of action, uh, a shorter or a longer, you know, with, we have fentanyl, then we have sufentyl, which is a longer-acting form of it, and then we have this super-duper super. elephant tranquilizer, literally, that is really potent well and in in trying to overcome some of these folks that are going into um overdose the the stuff that i was reading was saying that sometimes it takes several um applications of narcan Mm -hmm. where it would normally take one application to bring a person into complete quick withdrawal and and saving their life um that that this would take several which which is kind of scary in itself because many of the um applicators that that we're seeing have two doses doses Mm -hmm. and you know if if you're having to give somebody a third or possibly a fourth dose i mean well and the training used to be give the dose of narcan and then call 911 right now the training is Give the dose of Narcan, then give, give the next the second dose of dose. Narcan, and then call nine one one. Because a person, this is bringing people out of the um, protective um, piece really, really quickly, and they're still in a high risk of overdosing. Mm-hmm. So it has been um, this evolution of a very tightly controlled, specific, pure, as you said, Michael, um, medication with very specific uses by highly trained uh, physicians and medical personnel to the now source of fentanyl is coming from clandestine labs in Mexico and China. And the, the potency, the purity, um, the, the fact that it is a white powder that can be easily 
mixed in with other types of substances, as, as we can see with some of our patients having it be found in their drug tests. And I'll, I'll have patients say, look, I, Dr. Blank, I just told you I've been using cocaine. Right. Why would I not tell you I was using Cocaine and fentanyl. If I was using fentanyl and I knew that I was, I would tell you that. I have no reason to not tell you that. So many of these folks that have been used to using their medication, not medication, using their illicit substance, using the cocaine or using methamphetamine, and they know they're going to be really, really high, and then they're going to crash and they're going to sleep. Now they're waking up with flu-like symptoms. They uh-huh. have a little bit of a temperature, and they are sweating body aches hands. and sweating and nausea and vomiting and diarrhea, not realizing they're in opiate withdrawal. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take a break. We'll talk a little bit more about the myths and the truths about fentanyl. Please stay tuned. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. 
Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. Today we're talking about fentanyl. We're talking about the truths and the myths, the misconceptions. And we've seen a lot of this in the news media. So we thought we would spend a little time and give you a little bit of history and information about this drug. Certainly, I think it's going to become much more of a household name, like OxyContin did, like Xanax has become, like heroin has become again. Um, unfortunately related to a tragic death of um, Prince. Um, They think also Philip Seymour Hoffman died of a combination of fentanyl and heroin when he overdosed and died. So we know that... um, That was when the Atlanta Healing Center first initially started seeing the fentanyl in not only the heroin, but in other... Right, you know, and other substances, and that was when it was starting to ring a bell with us. Going, oh right. my gosh, this, and this is not just. Um, and the speculation that he may have purchased that while he was here, here in, Atlanta, in Atlanta, working on the film right before he died. Well, and there were deaths that were surprising us earlier than that. Right. Um, the the guy from Glee in Canada, mm-hmm. and and what the Canadian authorities are now saying because because the death rate has increased so rapidly, especially in in the western side of Canada, that um, um, fentanyl has been a part, or they're believing has been a part of several of those deaths in um, Canada. Between 2009 and 2014, there were there have been more than a thousand drug poisoning deaths. Um, and in the first part of 2016, this year, there were already 200 in, um, in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. So it's just a, an incredible spike that's become a public health crisis up there that, that it's being addressed on a national level as a public health crisis. And we've seen the same thing here in the U.S., and I go back to the idea that we probably have missed a lot of the deaths that were attributed to other opioids or at least um, fentanyl may have been in the combination because of the difficulty in testing for it if you don't specifically look for it Correct. and order that test. So in the U.S., in um, from 2013 to 2014, 700 people, uh, it's estimated by the DEA, died of uh, fentanyl overdoses. But again, medical examiners weren't testing for it. In 2014... There were um, 28,000 opioid-related deaths, and they think at least um, 10 perc- or 10,000 of those were linked to heroin, and um, probably a large number of those were related to fentanyl as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that the opioid... Uh, epidemic that we're seeing in this country has moved from prescription medications, and certainly there are, are still, as you were saying, David, people who were able to obtain the, the fentanyl patches, and some patients were using those. So prescription level um, fentanyl, and certainly we see it still in healthcare providers. But the fentanyl that we're talking about now is not generally sourced as has been misrepresented in the media, I think. Mm-hmm. 
uh, is not generally sourced from these prescription medications or diversions from hospitals. These are actually being manufactured. Correct. Again, this is a synthetic. It's manufactured out of Mexico and out of China uh-huh. and made very cheaply and then brought into the United States. So the source for the deaths in Vancouver, um, in British Columbia, and in um, um, uh, Alberta, we're seeing are probably related to the um, drugs coming in from China. Mm-hmm. You know, it's surprising to me that it's it's really hitting every state. I was actually reading a newspaper out of Bismarck, North Dakota, where they were talking about how rapidly the percentage has risen in that state. I don't recall the numbers offhand, but you don't think of these small little Midwestern um, states that have populations um, equal to what they were in the early 1800s having to deal with an issue like this, but it's absolutely everywhere. Right, and and there were a lot of articles coming out of um, Ohio and uh, Cincinnati and Cleveland that, that, I mean, the number of deaths that they were having was crazy, uh, you know, f- compared to the prop- the population. Right. So this this um, opioid use, um, heroin, fentanyl, and prescription drugs, uh, that used to be sort of an end stage, mm-hmm. end of the line um, use of drugs when your disease of addiction is really progressed um, to a very serious um, bottom. But now we're seeing that, no, this is not an inner city problem. This is not a problem of the poor. This is not a problem, although it does affect um, those folks as well. But we're seeing that it is a rural problem. It is a suburban problem. It is a very different distribution pattern the when the Mexican drug cartels began to dr- to grow heroin and um, the opioid opium poppies and manufacture um, the heroin from those poppies and bring that into the United States we began to see that the price of heroin dropped dramatically because it was no longer primarily having to come from Afghanistan and the Middle East and um, and Thailand and Laos and Cambodia, but and go across continents and oceans and be very expensive, difficult to get. Now we're seeing the the seizures that the DEA are reporting coming out of Mexico are horrendous, and that's what they're finding. Right. And and the the Mexican uh, cartels or or the the organizations are targeting it, and they have a business plan that is saying you know we are going to increase our production, lowering the price, and we want to reach X number of millions of people. Mm-hmm. I mean it's it's not a oh let's try this or let's try this. This is a this is a business. And they're making a decision to increase production and increase distribution. Um, another part that really struck me, because you know there is still such um, such a stigmatism against heroin, and people still look down on the people who have made that crossover to heroin, even though so many people have. But now, um, produce the dealers are actually getting bags of the the 
powder, the fentanyl powder, and they they have their presses and they have the press that makes it look like an oxy a roxy um, pill. So these people who are used to taking roxies will think that they're buying roxies and they're not, you know, crossing that line into heroin. Um, um, and just getting a great deal for it. Can't believe what a wonderful deal they're getting. And it's turning out that the percentage of what's in there is mostly, if not all, fentanyl. There was a, a seizure, actually, where they had gotten um, in Ohio, where they seized a thousand pill, pills from a pill mill, and they were marked and looked just like oxycodone. Um, and when tested, they were all fentanyl. fentanyl. And that's um, another important point, um, David. Thank you for bringing that up. Because we were seeing the use of fentanyl um, generally mixed with heroin, generally IV. And so lots of the patients that we know that have been IV drug users, they were a little more savvy. They recognized the Russian roulette that they were playing. When you see people that are let's say, earlier in their disease and less um, well-schooled in all of these different substances. Um, Taking a pill, taking it orally or snorting it or Mm -hmm. smoking it, does not seem like that's such a risky thing. And if I can take out my smartphone and I can identify the markings and the lettering on the pill and it looks just like an 80-milligram Oxycontin, Mm-hmm. I'm going to feel relatively safe. And that's one of the, the lures of the prescription drug use in among youth is, well, I can identify the pill. I know what it is. I know the dose. I know it's from the doctor. I know it's pure. And I can feel relatively safe because I know how this affects me. And now they're buying these pills that... Look um, and... Every even the color, the, color. the mm-hmm. size, the shape, everything is is identical, except for the fact that it's all fentanyl and it's it's none of the drug in which that they think that they're buying. And I also think it's very interesting that um, in doing this, the the dealers know that fentanyl on its own doesn't have a huge street value or it's not as as valuable. But if they if they make it into pills that look like a 80 they can sell it for twenty dollars a pop and um people will buy it up just you know so it's it's very interesting that they're creating something that looks like something so that they can sell it for a and probably they're discounting an 80 because generally an 80 80 would would be like 80 80 bucks and so generally they're probably discounting it to 60 and these people think they're getting a good deal right and still it's a lot more than they would be getting for heroin and, and they're selling them in 1,000-pill lots. And unfortunately, this is killing people. Right. So not all of the – in fact, most of the opiate overdose deaths are not related to IV drug use. Uh, we're now seeing the use of the fentanyl orally or smoking or snorting it. Um, again, and if they think this is safe and they don't realize how potent this is and how dangerous it is and that the effect they're going to get is not the effect that they usually get, uh, it is very disturbing and extremely um, risky right. for folks because they really now don't have any way 
of knowing what it is they're buying. They used well, to feel secure in that I can recognize it, and I know the color, and I know the shape, and I know the markings on the drug, so I know what I'm buying. Now that's not true, right. and people are dying because of that. It's a very, very sad and scary thing. So we've got fentanyl being disguised as prescription drugs, and now we've got the powdered fentanyl coming out of Mexico that is being mixed in with other substances that are not opioids. So we, we're seeing this relatively inexpensive synthetic being distributed in mm-hmm. a number of different ways, all of them very dangerous. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about fentanyl. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Buzz off with Lawyer Liz. Join me each week, Wednesdays at 2 o'clock, as we talk drones, Internet of Things, and technology. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. I have with me David Donaldson and Michael Daly from the Atlanta Healing Center. And we're talking about fentanyl, the truths and the myths. And we are seeing that this is becoming extremely big business. And because fentanyl is relatively inexpensive to manufacture, there um, the drug cartels are able to use this in a variety of ways, some of which to enhance the potency of their heroin, some of which to 
make their customers more loyal customers because now they're getting the high of an opioid while they think they're getting just cocaine. They're also having the withdrawal from an opioid potentially. We're also seeing that because these chemists are extremely smart, they know that if they move one of the molecules or they change the structure slightly, it's no longer a Schedule II, which is a highly controlled um, schedule by the DEA. So fentanyl is a Schedule II. A doctor has to have a specific approval from the DEA to be able to write that, and it is closely monitored. Now the um, the DEA has found through seizures of drugs um, across the United States that there are at least 12 different analogs of fentanyl that have been produced. Some of them are still legal. Mm -hmm. They're working very diligently to try and get these um, derivatives of, of fentanyl to be declared illegal substances as well, but they're for, they're ahead of it. They're they're one step ahead of the exactly. game at every every step of the way. You know, it's like they just learn from each other because uh-huh. when um, Spice. when Spice was. Yes, exactly. Really all over the place. And the DEA would get out, off the market. It would come right back out with just a slight change in the modification and a slight change in the packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're even seeing that now with um, um, Kratom. Kratom. And, and it's coming marked directly imported from China. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And, and and the thing is that some of these, some of these modifications or, or the new fentanyl, you know, it's it's being marketed with a name brand from a known company. It's it's not like they're hiding it, right? So they're they're taking um, Purdue drug company. They're taking the image, the color, the shape of the pills, and now they're manufacturing them. Only they're using fentanyl or a fentanyl derivative mm-hmm. that, in some ways and in some cases may actually be legal for a drug dealer to sell. Right. Now, so, in, in, in just so people know, um, some of the nomenclature is that if you hear a shady 80, that's, that's the name on the street for these um, look-alike pills that are fentanyl that people think they're oxy. So when it's getting the word is being spread, that guy doesn't have actual oxy. He's got shady shady eighty. That means that that which, and again, there's a lot of people that think, oh well, that must be I want wonderful. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to I um, want to try that. And you know, they'll they'll text somebody and say, I, I have a boat of, um, whatever, and that means that they have a, at least a thousand pills. You know, but and, and talking to to current patients about how they're communicating about it what they'll talk about is if it's if it's just okay stuff um the dealer will say well it'll get you there so it's not going to be something wonderful but it's going to do what it needs to do but if it's you know if it's going to push them over the edge they'll say oh you got to watch out for this stuff meaning this is this great is it could kill yeah. you right and unfortunately that is a great marketing tool because our patients really like that the the danger 
And as we talked in the first segment about um, the fact that fentanyl can be absorbed through the skin, and when they make the fentanyl patches, that's the transdermal delivery system is a very effective way. So people handling these pills, handling the pills that are made to look like OxyContin but are actually fentanyl, they are, are in, at risk for being able to absorb some of that through their skin. Mm-hmm. When DEA agents or local um, police, FBI, come in to make a drug bust or raid a large operation, they have to be extremely careful because, again, this white powder, that could be cocaine, that could be heroin, that could be a lot of stuff. It could also be fentanyl which can be absorbed, and even a small amount absorbed through the skin can be very dangerous for someone and even potentially lethal. So even handling these pills is not without some risk. You can handle an OxyContin. You can shake them out of the bottle. You can touch them. You can lay them on the table. You can pick them back up. No problem. You're not going to absorb that medication even if some of it gets rubbed off. Uh, a, a fentanyl pill that looks like an OxyContin. A Shady 80. A Shady 80 is going to be a big problem because just that, that slight transfer can, particularly for someone that's opiate naive, be really dangerous. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think for everybody, when we talk about something being a Schedule 2, um, what that means is that it has a high addiction potential. Exactly. Because a lot of times we'll hear that phrase and it's like, well, that doesn't really mean anything to the, to the masses. But what it really means is it might have some medical purposes, but it also has a high addictive potential. And hence the reason that so many um, patients really like this drug and like um, the effects that it has. For someone that's used opiates before um, and can tolerate a fairly high dose, they're less likely to have a fatal encounter, although we always have to remember, though tolerance goes up, the lethal threshold does not change. And we see a lot of patients who have used heroin for a considerable amount of time. Now every time they use it, they have to keep using enough that it actually sometimes pushes them over into overdose. So they're in and out of overdose and in and out of withdrawal and because their tolerance has built to such a degree. So this is of great concern. I know it's of concern to the treatment industry. I know it's of concern to law enforcement. Um, It should be of great concern to citizens, certainly parents, teachers, uh, other folks who come in contact with young people because they don't have their prefrontal cortex fully developed, and they are going to have a a more difficult time recognizing the danger and the lethality of this new kid on the block. You know, and you think about the the people that are using the pill presses and making their own pills. That's been something you've seen with other drugs, with club drugs, with Molly. So a lot of college kids, when they're going to a rave or they're going to a party, are going to see these things and not necessarily think twice about, oh, it's the so-and-so's um, made these pills over here. They're going to think it's t- they're taking Molly or something that's going to just make the night fun, and it'll be the last night. 
the last night of their life. It has also complicated uh, our outpatient detox protocols. One of the things that I've noticed is that patients are coming in and they're obviously clearly in significant opiate withdrawal. If I give them a dose of the buprenorphine product that we use to help with um, managing withdrawal and to stabilize the patient, they often get worse. And they get worse over several days because there is an interaction between buprenorphine and fentanyl that um, uh, it's trying to kick the fentanyl off the receptor sites and it's not doing a very good job of it. Buprenorphine is still much more potent than fentanyl, but it is um, fentanyl is a long-acting medication in the forms that we're seeing, which means the person's withdrawal is much longer, much more intense, maybe not as severe as someone using methadone, but it is certainly not the usual withdrawal that we're expecting when somebody thinks they're just taking heroin, not just, I use just with air quotes, please, because heroin is obviously very scary. So now, because fentanyl is not a quick turnaround in terms of being able to recognize it in a drug screen, we have to have a GCMS, LC, um, LCMS confirmation for it. We may not have that result back from the lab for two or three days. We can see that they've been taking heroin. We can see that they've been taking opiates. And so we feel fairly confident in beginning a detox. But we can make their detox a little bit rougher. And it can, well, we're not. It's the fentanyl uh, because I don't always know what's on board. Right. And we see that's, it. That's the question I was going to ask you is in, in the testing, when, when a new form of fentanyl is developed, does that new form show as the same metabolite? No, it does not. And there are some situations where um, one form of it has been found to be uh, to not show up on the drug test. So we've got to get our drug testing programs up and at them as well. So the the good news in all of this is that um, back in March, there was an additional $1.1 billion um, to expand treatment for opioid addiction. Uh, being able to expand the number of buprenorphine patients that I can see and treat and other doctors as well will help us begin to at least get a um, our arms around this increasingly significant problem and very deadly. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Detailing Addiction. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.